Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And this is the Scene From Above podcast, bringing you news and discussion about Earth observation. Follow us on Twitter using at EOSceneFrom or the hashtag SceneFromAbove. This episode, we talk about news. As per last episode, and uh, as per my tweets sent out in early Feb, I'm keen to highlight the unsung heroes or the unheard of silent majority of people that don't necessarily get shouted about enough in Earth observation. So if you if you know anybody and you want to nominate them, do drop us a line. I'll put out another tweet in the start of March. First of all, thanks to everybody who responded. I, I had a really amazing re- response in the Twitter thread. So if I miss somebody out, I will go back and uh, <laughs> put them in next time. It's not been deliberately done. It's just how Twitter sometimes uh, orders it for me. So first of all, Hayley Evers-King nominated the UMETSAT users. Now, this was a, a really nice nomination, I think, because the kind of user support people are often forgotten about in organizations and, and the like. So this is a, a help desk for, for weather satellite data especially. But it did make me think when she nominated the UMETSAT users, there are a lot of people behind the scenes in many organizations who maybe aren't necessarily Earth observation people or GIS people. They're just helping churn the wheels and the cogs to make the organization run or make the service uh, viable or, or whatever it may be. And to those people, I, I say thank you very much. These are enablers. So um, if, you're, if you're behind the scenes and don't feel like you're being shouted about, and I don't even know if you would come across this podcast and hear about it, take it from me. If you're working with someone like that in your organization, just send them a message, say thanks. It, it really makes someone's day. Uh, ben Loveday nominated Marco Peters. He's a Snap development guy um, working at Brockman Consult. And he is someone who is highly, highly thought of behind the scenes at Snap and is clearly doing a heck of a lot of uh, work on that tool. So thanks very much, Marco, for all your work there. And thanks um, for the nomination as well. Yeah, Snap is, a, is, a, is actually an amazing um, open source and thoroughly underappreciated piece of software. And it really comes to light for me with Sentinel-1 and the fairly recently retired group, RUS Copernicus, who were doing training courses. A lot of them were done through Snap. Anyway, Snap is fantastic. And uh, Marco Peters, a well-deserving nomination of an unsung hero. Marco Peters um, also nominated Andreas Brown, another person working on the Snap tools. So thanks for that. Jessica McCarty nominated, let me just get the name right, Adam Boland. Is that correct? Apologies if I pronounced your name incorrectly, but someone who works behind the scenes at NASA Earth Observatory. Now, this is almost certainly a a website or a product that you've come across. They frequently do amazing images and associate stories and communicate science in such a powerful way. There's a lot of people actually involved in this. J.S. Carter, I think, on Twitter. He's often tweeting some pretty amazing work that the NASA Earth Observatory does. Thanks for for the nomination. And uh, Adam, thanks so much for all your amazing work as well. Um, Vasilis Karagiru, apologies again if I pronounced your name wrong, Dr. Geo Int, um, nominates Paul Maffer. I've read his book as well, actually, on computer processing of remotely sensed images. It's almost like a wider acknowledgement of... If you've been in the academic sphere, 
we're all reliant upon high quality academic texts um, that have been produced. And people carry these books and memories with them for a long time. Paul Mather and Arthur Cracknell, when I was learning Earth observation, they were almost Earth observation itself. They were just really, really big names and so influential on almost all aspects of Earth observation. It'd be fascinating to know who is having that sort of influence now. They're perhaps not shouting about their work in the sort of social media sphere. Exactly, that, yeah. That we, that we pick up and, and, and almost forget about these people, but they've laid the foundations. Thanks so much for drawing that to our attention. I'm still going. Um, <laughs> that, that's how that's how amazing it was. And, and again, thanks so much for everyone nominating. Um, Alistair Hamill nominated Conor Graham. All the outreach and support and stuff he does in schools with, with geography. And the nice thing is that Conor Graham responded and, and basically said, uh, you know, you don't have to thank me. I love geography. So kudos to him. I think I've covered everybody. There were some comments from Santiago Gasso. So he mentioned Pierre Marcuse. Oh, yeah. And J.S. Carto. Yep, I've mentioned J.S. Carto in, in, in this. But yep, Pierre Marcuse, we've, we've, we've highlighted his work before. I wouldn't necessarily say he's a, a, a hidden star, <laughs> <laughs> but a phenomenal work that, that he does. And I think he'll be famous for his satellite images on Flickr account for many, many years to come. Um, and finally, uh, one from me, but Louisa Diggs at Radiant Earth Foundation does a heck of a lot of work. And this sort of brings me into the news in a minute. But what Radiant Earth Foundation, and we've talked about them before, do is really great in the impact of Earth observation. And they're really committed to that. And Louisa does a heck of a lot of work behind the scenes, uh, as well as producing things like uh, a, a monthly newsletter, Oh, here, here. That's a, an amazing list of people. It's so lovely to have people and it's empowering as well for people to say, hey, they made a difference to me or they make a difference to me. As a community, we're able to spot those people that don't necessarily get the, the kudos or the slap on the back or whatever. And that this is an outlet that we can help a little bit, just raise the profile. If you know of anyone who, who could do with a little boost and a little thank you from the community, then get in touch with Andrew, myself, podcast, and uh, we'll make that happen in the next episode as well. Saying thank you to someone without being prompted will make someone's day. Okay, let's do the news. The news on the 16th of February, 2022. Yeah, loads of things again. The thing that stood out for me most this month is I got contacted by Dan Hurst via pull request on GitHub for the awesome Earth Observation account. And he pointed me at the Microsoft Torch Geo GitHub account. Torch Geo is a PyTorch domain library similar to Torch Vision that provides datasets, transform samplers and pre-trained models specific to geospatial data. And I thought, ah, this is this is something that's going to be potentially massive in, in our uh, industry so pytorch along with tensorflow and various others but the, you know a couple dominate the machine learning python um sphere is that the right word environment framework framework, framework. <laughs> environment framework let's just chuck all the buzzwords out but the um thing that made me smile was microsoft i don't think they've been doing it um by stealth but they're they're quite big in geo yeah. Bigger than perhaps, you know, you would think. They're significantly involved and, and see the, the, the power 
of geospatial data. And while I haven't used Torch Geo, I do see this as being another step forward because the connection between the geospatial side to an established, well-used machine learning framework is very important for people not only coming into the uh, sector, you know, using it for the first time, but also to simplify workflows. But I wonder if they're making it a bit too easy now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that when we first started the podcast, I mean, machine learning was a thing, but certainly deep learning was new to Earth observation. And as we've carried on over the years doing the, the podcast, both of those have become more and more developed uh, in terms of the the tools and things. I think this is one of the first libraries I've seen that states that it provides basically the tools, the data sets, transforms, pre-trained models. And I think it's the, the pre-trained models are going to be really important. I mean, there are others that have done it and there are others that have done individual components of that. Like you say, it's really interesting that this is coming out from a company like Microsoft and obviously they have the planetary computer and, and there's a whole set of tooling that's gone around that. And the amount of data that they now have that they're able to play around with must be absolutely brilliant to be a geospatial developer within Microsoft itself because you've you've got all the, the toys to play with. But I, I really like that they're not just chucking this out. A lot of thought has just gone into sort of the structure of the of the repo and the the readme and making sure that there's a, a sort of explainer on the readme about how to get up and running. And then I, I also had a quick look at the documentation and that's pretty full as well. The more repos that, that come and are of this type of quality and have this these types of tools and resources, then I think you're right. The more data scientists in particular will be able to just take individual libraries and start picking and choosing the right tool for their geospatial data. As to your point about, is it too easy? I, I don't know. I like easy, but at the same time, I can also see that being able to have a lot of control over your models and, and data and everything else is a necessity. Yeah, that's probably a conversation for another podcast. But I think almost just as shocking was that I, I had no idea this thing existed. You go, you can look look back over the old releases. So November 2021, we had the V0.1, December 2021, 1.1. And now this release that we're looking at is a, a January release. So clearly under active development. Very interesting. One to keep an eye on, definitely. My first news story is going to be about Landsat 9 and the fact that the recently launched satellite is now creating production-ready imagery. And if you're anywhere near social media recently, you'll know all about this because people have been loading the data up, creating all sorts of really amazing imagery. I think it's in Google Earth Engine now as well. Uh, there's been some really interesting plots as well about continuity between previous Landsat image data sets and, and the current one and things like that. So yeah, there's a whole host of activity happening around Landsat 9 and the fact that the imagery is now available. So if you're a Landsat user, this is amazing news. And if you're not yet a Landsat user, then maybe this is the time and the satellite and the sensor to, to go and have a look at why everyone is so amazed by the Landsat program and the longevity and all the data you can get from that. Most people, I guess, are going to access it through the USGS Earth Explorer. Yeah, You can get it from AWS, but it's request to pays. That got changed, I think, mid to late last year. 
July oh, right. time. Okay. I'm not down with how much that actually would cost you to, to get it in. I think that that's something that's potentially limiting for some people. Just as a bit of an aside, that's an interesting change because if we're saying that streaming data is the future and yet open data is also the future, and I fully accept that someone has to cover the costs of hosting and making the data available and processing it to get it there in the first place. But I wonder whether that change to request a pays is just a policy thing to try and claw back a little bit of the expense that goes into it or whether it's in response to AWS charges. I think it's been there for a while. I've definitely had a conversation on Twitter with a few people about it. I don't think it's a massive cost, but it is a cost. Should the US taxpayer be subsidizing the data access to a lot of companies? It's so tricky, but there is a way of getting it for free through Earth Explorer, and I'm sure there's other other ways. Uh, Okay, cool. RS... GIS lib v5. I think we talked about this last time saying, where is it? Has now been officially released. Thanks to us. Nothing (laughs) nothing to do with us whatsoever. (laughs) We've talked about this before in the past, I think. Yeah. So I I don't want to dwell on it, but it's behind a lot of academic work and a lot of companies um, rely upon this. There's a user support group that you can get involved with. The v5 is quite a major release. And again, we mentioned him last time, Pete Bunting is the sort of the guy behind it, but there, there are obviously others as well contributing to the to the package. If you are a user of RSGS Lib, I think they would appreciate you getting in contact with, with them and, and letting them know how, you, how you're using it. So I'm looking at it now. There are four people who have contributed to the, the repo on GitHub and 99% of the contributions have come from Pete Bunting. Yeah. I would say try and get involved in the community, try and make sure that there is a body of knowledge that's not just waiting upon Pete Bunting's shoulders. And while we don't often say it, you can buy him a coffee. If you're a user and it's given you benefit, then bug him a coffee. My next story is about Satellogic. And this is really interesting. So they, I I think maybe we've mentioned this before, but if not, then this is is the mentioning. Um, But they have won... Uh, $150 million in funding, and they've also become NASDAQ listed in the last month. So big news for them. And they are an interesting company because they have the real potential to be sort of the new player in terms of creating data and making data available to people. There's a lot going on in, in the sort of new space arena at the moment, but this is definitely a company that you should keep your eyes on. Because, I mean, you don't get funded to that amount for no reason. But also, I think they really are genuinely doing some interesting stuff. Understanding where they're looking could be a very good way of seeing where things might go in the future. Yep. Do you use LiDAR much? Have you used LiDAR much in the past? I have in the past, yeah. I used to do quite a lot of small site flood investigations, things like that. We're lucky, aren't we, in the UK? Because we've got access to the Environment Agency's LIDAR data yeah. set. And as long as it's got coverage, it used to be over river areas, didn't it? But I think now the, the move is to make it national. Yeah, they're supposed to be filling in the gaps, making yeah. it. But I've not seen any evidence of that happening. But maybe they're still in the data capture phase. So... Um, LiDAR is being released for the whole of France. <laughs> wow. Cool. <laughs> and I was particularly impressed by that because because we're so um, UK focused. We're like, oh, well, yeah, we've got it already, haven't we? Um, but it is a big deal. And it, these are very mm. 
detailed data sets and they're hugely valuable. And that's why I asked you, have you ever used it? Because you have, and it ultimately holds a lot of value to a lot of people for planning purposes or mapping or modeling or all this kind of stuff. If you go to translate.google.com, you can paste in any website and it will translate it for you into English. Thank you, Google. (laughs) (laughs) So I can read what the 3dvf.com's website says in English because unfortunately my French is pretty weak. And yeah, basically it reads reads like uh, great news that publicly available data, free to use commercially for the whole of France as it becomes available. The objective is to digitize the whole of France in 3D. But 60 million euros is how much it's taken to acquire all this data. So, wow. It's only when governmental organizations open their data up like this that it really unlocks the value and releases the money that they've spent. I think one of the things that would be useful, certainly in the UK, is, again, ease at which you can get your hands on LiDAR data. So you have to download flat files and if you know how to use QGIS, it's not a big problem. You can just sort of drag and drop in. And, and I can fully understand why that's a, a good model for disseminating data because there's so much data and you want to have it as sort of translatable as possible. But it would be really nice to have some cogs or something that you can also stream stuff out of. Just a thought there for whoever is thinking about how to disseminate UK LiDAR data. Okay, my final bit of news is a blog post, and maybe it's blog of the month. This one comes from uh, GEO, the group on Earth observations, who we've mentioned multiple times, and indeed we've had people come on the podcast and talk to us. The blog itself is entitled Integration of GeoGlow's ECMWF Streamflow Forecasting into the Community-Based Flood Early Warning System, CBFUSE, Flood Warning Information in Malawi. So a bit of a mouthful in terms of the uh, title, but it tells you exactly what it's doing. Basically, it's integrating some ECMWF forecasting models and some GeoGlows data into the CBFUSE flood early warning system. If you've had half an eye on the news recently, you'll know that in January, Malawi was massively hit by Cyclone Anna. Some absolutely stunning videos coming out, just the sheer amount of water. Living in a country like the UK, it's really hard to comprehend just Mm. how much water there is flowing down some of these rivers and scouring out everything around it. And so it's really important that you have a good early warning system. And I I just thought this is really interesting because there's also a full report that you can link to, but it's really nice to be able to see how some of the technology that we talk about quite often and the data sets that we talk about are being used by modelers and then being shared and used in order to try and help people in in countries that we just don't talk about enough like they pop up on the news around some disaster but actually it's stories like this where there's really cool technological advances being made in order to try and make that preparedness something that is helpful to the entire population and that it's these stories that need to be talked about more yeah so i just wanted to highlight this really yeah and and you know we should acknowledge that geo the group on earth observations that does a great does great work in that area yeah and you know this is a piece you highlight from their blog but their blog is well worth dropping into every now and then okay final thing for me basically it's kind of just a follow-on from what i was saying in the unsung heroes which is happens every month the radiant earth foundation do their ml4 eo market news january's is again super detailed you can go back over the 
the, the previous um, months, and I'm sure there'll soon be one for February when February finishes. But they really break it down, what's going on in, in the month. If you're going to go somewhere for Earth Observation News, why not go here? I think this is a great resource potentially for new entrants into the to the market to get a sense of what's happening with Earth Observation and getting the idea of where the edge is. It's a bit like what you talk about in the past in terms of the train rushes by and we don't follow up with whatever the, the news story was that we've mentioned. It's similar to that in that there's so much information now that individuals can try and highlight various different things. And I guess what we do is, is try and pick out various different news stories or, or maybe amplify certain stories. Mm. What's really useful about this is this is a curated sort of list. Each of those stories has been looked at, classified into something, whether it's uh, sort of a, an application or data access or a tutorial or whatever. And, and I, I really like the fact that there are these sort of curated newsletters that go out. I think they're going to become more and more important as more and more information gets dumped onto the web because understanding and having a source of respected librarianship almost, uh, I think is going to be really helpful to, to people to get an overview of where the trends are and, and what's happening in Earth observation. Cool. Um, that's the news. Oh, yeah, sorry. And that's it for the news. <laughs> You've got to say that. Interact with the podcast on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Bye. Bye. Okay, okay. <clears throat> okay, um Podcast music is Cracker Jackson Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.